Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Three car makers, one of them based in the United States, using forced labor from China. And we're hearing more about child labor violations in the United States. Today on the show, we'll check in with the heat and frost insulators. That would be Local 6 in Massachusetts. And our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger, will be joining us. Welcome to the Tuesday, December 27th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. Our first guest, we're going to check in with Richard Rothwell. They call him Dude Rothwell. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, on the show. He is the training coordinator for Local 6 of the Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers website. Real simple. Insulators 6. Dot .org A little background on Richard. He joined the union back in May of 1983. And during his time on the job he worked in a number of fab shops, also worked outages at a nuclear power plant. Then he was drawn to teaching and became a part-time apprenticeship instructor that was back in the early 1990s. He became a full-time apprentice instructor back in 2012 and has been extremely active in the master apprentice competition and the joint apprenticeship conference since then we're going to get into all of that in more he's a delegate to the uh, 2017 heat and frost insulators convention which took place right in boston and rich has held various positions with local and state boards and committees including officer positions with the state AFL-CIO, and he's done a lot with getting out the vote in elections. We'll talk about the importance of mechanical insulation. You've heard a lot of that on this show, especially from Pete Almini, who's with the Labor Management Trust. In fact, Pete will be joining us tomorrow on the show. We'll talk about the importance of outreach in recruiting minorities and women, and also right to work in New Hampshire. There's been an effort to uh, go right to work. And the reason he's bringing that up, Rich lives in New Hampshire, so he's seeing uh, all too well what's going on there. So Richard Dude Rothwell will be our first guest there. We're going to check in with Tommy Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice, retired international president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, and we'll talk about the railroad negotiations. Tom was on this story almost a year ago. I believe it was our February edition, and he was telling us the, the scenario and uh, what became a national issue, and that was the fact that these workers need time off, and they tried desperately to get that in Congress, and it didn't happen. They tried to get seven days. But uh, the railroad negotiations, the bottom line is they got a contract, they got a raise, but there's a lot of unhappy campers. We'll be looking ahead to the coming negotiations in 2023, I'm sure Tom has a few things to say about the airline industry, too. There were a ridiculous amount of uh, cancellations of flights, and uh, 
we had some bad weather. Let's let's be honest here. I understand that. But uh, Southwest Airlines, which is a very union friendly airline, but there's been a change in management there. And uh, it's not the same operation as it once was. Of course, nothing is. But from what I gather, there are a lot of internal problems, IT problems as uh, as a result of uh, the winter storm that affected other airlines, but not the extent of Southwest. That's the interesting uh, situation. And because of what I just said, the Department of Transportation is trying to find some answers. So there's going to be some grilling, I'm sure, on Capitol Hill on that situation. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. $17 billion in assets under advisement. The Senate Finance Committee is conducting a probe into a number of car makers, Tesla, Mercedes, and General Motors, requesting specific information about their links to forced labor in China. Several weeks ago, Sheffield Hallam University released research that suggested forced labor is more deeply enmeshed in global supply chains than regulators previously knew. Now, car makers in particular may be importing products of forced Weiger labor, such as steel and aluminum, electric vehicle batteries, vehicle electronic systems, tires, as well as replacement parts. Now, the Weiger area, it's almost like a concentration camp in uh, within China. And uh, a lot of it involves people of different backgrounds, and the Chinese government has pretty much isolated them and have been using the people there to create products made for shipping out of China, including the United States. Now, Congress has taken action on this. Earlier this year, they passed the uh, Weiger Forced Labor Prevention Act. Now, due to that Weiger Forced Labor Prevention Act, car makers now face a rebuttable presumption that the importation of any goods from that area is, in fact, prohibited. So, The Senate probe will supplement U.S. Customs and Border Protection enforcement of that piece of legislation, which is now law. And uh, we'll see what happens. This is going to be an interesting investigation. In the meantime, Congress finally wrapped up their uh, work on Capitol Hill. This was late on Friday with the passage of the $1.7 trillion spending package, which includes... $25 million of new funding for the National Labor Relations Board, thus bringing the agency's total budget up to $299 million. Now, you know, that may sound like a lot of money, but in Washington dollars, it's really not very much. And keep in mind, this agency did not receive any funding for eight years. 2014 was the last time they got an increase in their budget. Well, In response to the threat of furloughs and changes to telework policies, Labor Board staffers from around the country held a rally outside agency offices in D.C. This was earlier this month, December 8th, holding signs that read, NLRB 
pro-employee on the outside, union busting on the inside, and hypocrisy. This was next to an image of general counsel Jennifer Abruzzo, where they overlaid her picture on Marie Antoinette. Well, it's not clear whether the funding can help the board fill hundreds of vacated jobs. The board has lost 30% of its workforce since 2010, even while union election filings have increased 53% just this past fiscal year. Boy, there's an agency that's been under a whole lot of stress. That's sad about Jennifer Abruzzo because she comes from the Communication Workers of America. And uh, she is very pro-union, but she's obviously put in a position where she's got to manage the budget as well. And uh, interest, I'm sure there's a lot more stories circulating around the NRB on, uh, on that one. As we reported last week, violations of child labor laws have gone up 37% this year. One of the companies is Crumble Cookies. Talked about this on the show last uh, Thursday. They have... Uh, Locations in six states, they were fined $50,000 for allowing children to work in hazardous or prohibited areas. Well, over the course of two years, one restaurant in Maine has accrued 691 child labor law violations, most of which involve children working longer hours than permitted by state regulations. The Quarry Tap Room has reached a $17,275 settlement with the Maine Department of Labor. The co-owner, Stephen Lachance, said, These laws are in place to protect the youth. We're certainly not above the law, and we admit we did fall short of meeting some of these expectations. And he added, We're looking for additional workers, and we're able to find them with these young kids who are willing to step up, get off the couch, and earn a wage for themselves, which is pretty impressive. I know restaurants are short on work, on workers, that is. But uh, going over the line on this one. Then there's a uh, Chick-fil-A in North Carolina, which was cited by the Federal Department of Labor for violations of various regulations, including some related to the use of child labor, such as the prohibition of children performing hazardous jobs involving a trash compactor. Now, that Chick-fil-A was also cited for paying employees in meal vouchers instead of cash. Here, have a chicken sandwich. In total, the restaurant paid... Just shy of $6,500 in civil money penalties and $235 in back wages to seven employees. Doesn't sound like very much now, does it? Finally, the uh, UAW has issued a statement on the ongoing reports of child labor at Hyundai and Kia suppliers. This is in the state of Alabama. And it criticizes the Biden administration for encouraging more commerce with the car makers. No special exemptions to the Inflation Reduction Act should be extended to Hyundai and Kia for their electric vehicles, said the UAW. Their facilities should not be granted local, state, or federal assistance under any programs, and monies already granted should be clawed back. Yeah, got a good point there. Internationally, massive strikes with tens of thousands of workers are going on right now 
in England and Wales across ambulance workers, nurses, postal workers, rail workers, and airport immigration officers. The strikes come amid record inflation, 11.1%, with workers raising concerns that wages have not kept up with inflation, along with, especially for healthcare workers, continued exhaustion from the pandemic. A lot of angst in the world, no doubt about that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the city of Boston, Massachusetts, and check in with Local 6 of the Heat and Frost Insulators. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to Boston, Massachusetts right now. And joining us on line number one is Richard Dude Rothwell. And he comes to us as the training coordinator for the insulators, heat and frost insulators, insulators6.org is their website. Right now they have about 500 members and uh, quite a territory there. Mr. Rothwell, welcome to America's Workforce. Best of the holidays to you. Getting ready for New Year, I'm sure. How are we doing today, my brother? We're doing very good. Great to be with you. Good, good, good day. Did, did, did you get some of that crazy cold weather over there in Boston? No, we actually lucked out. I mean, we, got, we didn't get much, no snow, which was a shocker, but we, uh, we, it's always cold. Just be glad you're not in Buffalo. <laughs> my God, Buffalo. Yes, like we got a lot hit. of rain. Yeah. So we were glad it was rain and not snow. Okay, good to hear. Okay, I have to ask you, Dude Rothwell, where did that come from and how long have you been called Dude? Of course, a lot of people are being called Dude today. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, about 
when I was an apprentice, I used to call everybody dude. And then one day, one of the, my mechanics just, it kind of stuck. He started calling me dude, and then everybody picked up on it. So I was dude before the big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations are in order here. I, I, I was reading that you uh, are the recipient of an award, the uh, WF Pablo, is it Bleaker Award? Is That's that right? Correct. Okay. That's correct, sir. Okay, um, tell me a little bit about that, and talk to me about getting involved in the in the heat and frost insulator. I mean, forty years, long time, my friend. Uh, <laughs> well, let, let's start right there. Let's start right there. What got you involved in uh, in local six? Well, believe it or not, I'm a third generation. My father was in. He got in when my grandfather passed away in the fifties. I never met my grandfather, but and then you know just plugging along and I tried other things and then I came back home to the insulators. It sounds like you connected right away with uh, with heat and frost. Uh, it took me a couple of years, you know, our apprenticeship in this program, we take apprentices once a year and we uh but sometimes they carry the list for two, so it took me 3 years, two tests, but I made it and I haven't turned back. Good for you been a great career for my family yeah it, it is it, the trades are just super right now so you got 500 uh, brothers over there brothers i'm sure you got a couple of females as well we've got in several that, in that area now, what's your territory you said it goes into new hampshire as well yes we cover all of massachusetts all of maine all of new hampshire all of rhode island a little bit of vermont and a little bit of connecticut Wow. So, <laughs> so we it have is, like six states. Is 500 members enough to cover that territory? Well, believe it or not, sad. Not right now it's not. We're, we're booming. We have a lot of travelers in from around the country. But we're trying to get the numbers up. we got 130 apprentices right now. That's good. So how long have you been uh, training coordinator? I've been training coordinator since... 2012. I've been teaching since like the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and then I went full time in 2012. So, so let me ask you, what drew you to teaching? I, I know teachers—that's a special category. And in fact, there's a couple of teachers in my family, and uh, they're really good at it. Some on the high school, some on the elementary level. But you, obviously, teaching teaching future heat and frost insulators. What what got you going in that direction? Well, the whole thing about uh, apprenticeship and you know the unions and stuff was you pass it on to the next generation that's how they've always been built over the years you know and uh indentured servant type thing or you know but it's always been master to apprentice so i uh, mm-hmm. like to pass it on that's good any idea how many young people you brought into the uh into the uh, heat and frost insulators? Do you have a count on that? I mean, that's a long time you've been teaching, you know. Uh, I don't really have a count on that. We do a lot of outreach now, too, because of the uh, – in Boston area, or pretty much Massachusetts, New Hampshire, there's a lot of pre-apprenticeship groups, and we bring them into the training center and go over what we do, introduce them to the trade. 
Are you talking about some of the schools? You go into the schools and get them, get them involved at no, that they, age. These are these are actually uh, pre-apprentice groups where they they're actually set up by the the trades. Yeah, and they bring people people in to introduce them to the next trades. Uh, Marty Walsh started the one in Boston way back when. It was called Building Pathways, and there's like Building Futures and Providence, Rhode Island, and mm-hmm. there's other different pathways around Massachusetts. And we just they have like a eight week course, and they bring people in, introduce them to the trades, give them some basic, uh, you know, OSHA tra- ten training, some basic math, just to get them introduced to what it'll be like in the trades. Yeah. Because, again, a lot of people never heard of our trade. Oh, you're a well, pipe fitter, they always say. Yeah, yeah. Well, Building Futures, we did a show on them. Yeah, that's a really good program. I did not yes. know that Marty Walsh was uh, on the ground floor on that one. But I'm not surprised that the guy knows the guy knows well, his stuff. That's why he's Labor Secretary, let's be honest. Right. Well, there's two different – there's Building Futures in Rhode Island. It, Marty was with Building Pathways in Massachusetts. I mean, it's a very similar program. Sure, sure. No, I get it. So talk to me about this award that you got. Was this was this pretty recent? Yeah, this was last summer at our national convention. I was very humbled and honored. You know, I wasn't expecting it. It's recognized as one of our top people in training within our organization. So it's Pablo Blica was one of the first real big people that was really pushing layouts and he was from he's a canadian we'll let that go but <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a he was a master i see well congratulations on that that's awesome well, it's it's my understanding much. you attended a lot of uh, training events and competitions over the years can you uh, speak to some of those i mean that had to be kind of cool to watch especially these competitions yes we have at our convention, we usually, we have a national competition for apprentice, like master apprenticeship competition called the MAC. And there's one competitor from each conference. We have 10 conferences between the U.S. and Canada. And they have we have a regional competition first in your conference, and the winner of that goes to the national. And it's really, I mean, I'm amazed at what they do, you know, for being apprentices. Mm-hmm. It's very amazing. I mean, the proctors, they try and make the competition, the, the mock-ups, like, relate to the area they're in. Yeah. So, like, like in 2019, we were in Phoenix, and they had, like, a seven-foot cactus with a bunch of pipes coming off it. And, you know, Seattle, they had the Space Needle. So they, they try and make it local when they put the mock-ups together. I got this visual right now, a seven-foot cactus with a bunch of pipes coming out of it. <laughs> that was part of the competition? <laughs> yes, yes. They had to put green PVC on it. and it was, it was. They did a very nice job. Very cool. Richard, if you don't mind, how are we doing on the outreach? You, you said you do a lot with, like, you know, the, the Pathways programs and things like that. But what about uh, women, people of color? Because we often say on the show, this is the pathway to the middle class. How are we doing in uh, Local 6 on that? Well, we're doing pretty well. I mean, Massachusetts is pretty, Boston in particular, is trying to lead the way in that. We have 
uh, like say those pathways uh, encourage women and people of color to to participate in it. Mm-hmm. And you know it's and then we also there's also a annual like trade fair for women from all the high school trade schools. They come to, in Boston. We have an electrician's hall, and it's a big, you know, introducing them all to the different trades. Good. All right. Richard Dude Rothwell joining us on our live line today. He's the training coordinator for Local 6 of the Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers. Insulators6.org is a website. We'll chat more with him later in the show. We'll check in with Tommy Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's CWAD4.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Once again, too, if you like a show, please share that show. That's my mission here in 2023, to grow the show five days a week. And uh, next year, we'll be celebrating 30 years of America's workforce, 25 for me as host. That'll be in uh, August of next year. Let's go back to Boston, Massachusetts right now. Rejoin Richard Rothwell, Richard Dude Rothwell. I called him Dude for a long time, 40 years as a heat and frost insulator. Serves as training coordinator for Local 6. They have about 500 members covering, let me get this here, Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, part of Vermont, and Rhode Island. Did I get that territory correct? Did I miss any states there, Richard? Uh, A little bit of Connecticut. A little bit of Connecticut. Boy, I tell you, that's a heck of a territory there. Uh, 
You're probably aware of this uh, mechanical insulation legislation uh, regarding the carbon tax. And, uh, in fact, uh, Pete Almini, in fact, he's going to be on the show tomorrow from the Labor Management Trust. I'm sure he'll delve into that tomorrow. He talked about that. He said it was going to be introduced. It is introduced. I'd like to hear your point of view. What What's that going to mean for Local 6? Uh, I don't know if it's premature right now, but what's your take on it, Richard? Well, it's it's great for our trade because we had a similar carbon tax in Massachusetts, and it actually had that they had to have a uh, recognized apprenticeship program as part of the bill. So that helps, you know, if, if you're spending taxpayers' money on buildings, you want to be able to get well, the biggest bang for your buck. Yeah. Having people that are trained instead of just somebody off the street. Does a lot of that go on in your area? I mean, Massachusetts is, I know, very union-friendly. New Hampshire, uh, well, we could talk about that a little bit. But yeah. I'm just wondering, do uh, you, you see a lot of unskilled labor trying to do uh, your job? Oh, yeah, they're creeping, getting closer and closer to the big city of Boston. You know, we've been battling it, but it's it's out there. We're, you know... We have a lot of, uh, well, we're going to be getting a new governor, too, a more pro-labor governor in a couple of weeks. So that'll be great with Maura Healy. Oh, okay. As opposed to uh, Charlie Baker, who has not been helpful to the trades. Yeah. Well, that's good. Legislature over there, pretty pretty positive for labor? Pretty much. I mean, it's been slow the last few years with, with uh, the governor. But, you know, when we had... Uh, you know, he just wasn't very labor friendly. Gotcha. Okay. We always say in the show, elections matter. Elections really matter. Reorganizing the labor department and all the regulations that are changing for the apprenticeship programs. Now, you live in New Hampshire, right? Y- yes, I do. Lifelong resident of New Hampshire? No, I've, I'm a... Mass escapee. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what's the status there? I, I know they've been trying to get right to work going on. Right now in the country, I believe there's 27 states that have gone right to work. And uh, I'm watching Michigan. That may turn around here, especially because they have a new uh, pro-labor legislature there and a pro-labor governor. But uh, Massachusetts, I recall a couple of efforts over the years. Where, where do we stand with that right now, Richard? Uh, Massachusetts. I'm, I'm more familiar with dealing with New Hampshire's because they they've been we've been fighting it since the '80s, almost every year. Uh, Massachusetts doesn't really get any traction, but you know New Hampshire actually adopted it in 1947, but it was repealed two years later. And beginning in the '80s, it's been coming up like. Well, our legislature is a two-year legislature, so it comes up every session. And we've been battling it uh, like since I started as an apprentice. Uh, the closest we came to it, you know, we almost lost was in 2011 when it passed the House and the Senate and the governor vetoed it, mm-hmm. Governor John Lynch. And that was like in April, and the House was battling, you know, 
Mr. O'Brien was the president of the Senate, of the House at the time, and he was he wasn't sure he had the votes, and he kept delaying it and pulling you know multiple delaying votes and trying to call surprise sessions to catch everybody off guard so he had enough votes and he finally had a vote on it in December and he was he was short on the veto so you know he didn't have the, the two thirds he needed for the veto so it was close but that was the, the toughest we had but again it comes up every other year the last time it came up was in 2021 it was defeated in the House, and it can't come up again until, well, 2023. So we'll, I'm sure we'll see it again when the when the bills start coming out next, yeah. next month. You know, when that happens, too, I, I know all of labor unites against right to work, uh, but it does kind of drain some of your resources. And, and I bring that up because I'm very familiar, and probably you as well, with the state of Missouri. Uh, Missouri, that was a tough battle, but it was overwhelmingly defeated. However, you had unions. I think the uh, Food and Commercial Workers Union spent over a million dollars fighting that because you got big money interests that that really push right to work. And I'm just wondering, uh, that area, though, the fact that you've got some very, well, look at Massachusetts. You've got a lot of resources there and all that. But for uh, for unions like the heat and frost insulators, that's that's got to be tough for you financially, right? Yes, we like we can't compete with the bigger boys. I mean, we, we send what we can, but like some like the electricians and the uh, laborers, the iron workers, they have a little bit larger war chest than we do. Yeah. So it's going to come up, uh, who knows, in the next couple of weeks. But you're ready for the battle, right? Yes, we are. The New Hampshire AFL-CIO is ready to go in the New Hampshire there. building trades. There you go. There you go, buddy. Okay, real good. Richard Dude Rothwell, Local 6 Training Coordinator for the Heat and Frost Insulators, insulators6.org. Any parting words here for our audience? How, how, how do you feel about going into uh, 2020? Uh, you know, outside of that right to work stuff, but how do you feel about uh, the work uh, in 2023 and beyond? Well, again, we're, we've been actually in a big boom for the, probably the last seven or eight years, and there's no, right now, there doesn't seem to be any let up in it. But again, I've been through it in the past. You know, the, like the dot com boom, we had a lot yeah. of work going on. All of a sudden, it just went bust overnight. So, yeah, hopefully, it'll stay solid. Things are going good. Like I say, good. when I started full time, I had thirty five apprentices all four years. Now we got one hundred and thirty. So, we're putting people to work. I like it. I like it. You got your hands full. I'm going to let you get back to work. Richard, you take care. Congratulations again on that Pablo Bleeker Award. That's pretty cool. Forty forty plus years with the heat frost insulators you take care stay safe and happy new year to you okay buddy same to you thank you it was a pleasure thank you very much pleasure's all mine all right we're going to take a quick break tom buffenberger our independent labor voice coming up next this is america's workforce it takes layuna to keep america running Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget to get check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Before we join Tommy Buffenbarker, I want to give another plug here. For those of you listening to register for the AFL-CIO's 2023 Martin Luther King Conference, here's the website for more information and to register. It's themlkconference.org, the 2023 Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference will be held in Washington. As we've seen over the past several years, there's so much work left to be done to advance civil and human rights both across the country and inside our own labor movement. This is coming right from the AFL-CIO. We hope you will join us for this engaging, inspiring, and educational experience. The theme for 2023 is Claiming Our Power and protecting our democracy. Attendees will hear from labor activists and workers at Starbucks and Amazon about organizing experiences, the labor movement's resurgence. Oh, yeah, big year, 2022, big year for organizing. A couple of the speakers include the, uh, the mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, Maya Wiley, and also Tony Clark, Tony is the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, which just joined the AFL-CIO. They're the 58th union in the AFL-CIO. So that website, again, is themlkconference.org. All right, let's go to line number two. Welcome a longtime contributor and a former sponsor on behalf of the machinists and aerospace workers. That would be Mr. Thomas Buffenbarger. Retired international president of the machinists and aerospace workers. And we have a lot to uh, talk about the end of 2022 going into 2023. And Tommy, as I indicated at the top of the show, is very, very prolific, especially on the rail talks. We talked about that, I think it was in the February edition, way before this became a national story. Tom Buffenbarger, welcome back to America's Work. How was your holiday? And we got New Year's right around the corner. How are we doing, my friend? We're doing great, Flash. It's good to be back with you and wrap up this year. It's been 
an amazing year for all the stuff that's happened. We had the uh, the big railroad strike square, uh, scare, which is worth wrapping up on and for the year. And we've got, um, you know, a whole new year emerging with big negotiations coming up. We've got... Uh, uh, still dealing with the war in Ukraine. That affects a manu- American manufacturing uh, in many different levels. And uh, organizing, as you mentioned, that's that's going to be huge this year with companies that never, ever thought about unions facing pending elections. Yeah. It's, uh, we got a uh, great year to wrap up. We got a big year ahead of us and uh, a lot of work to do. Yeah, I want to talk about some of the changes in in Congress. Obviously, the House is going to uh, the Republican side, but l- let's start off with the the rail negotiations. And uh, I know there's a, there's a lot of unhappy campers there. Now, the the pay, well, they got a pretty decent pay hike, but the issue was the time off. The fact that uh, they want they were pushing for seven days of sick leave, and Congress failed on that one. What's your what's your Thoughts on moving forward on this? Do you think eventually they'll be able to get that, or this is going to be a tough it, issue? It's already started, uh, Flash. Uh, let's go back to rail negotiations. It proves for all the unions, every union, including my own union, they need to prepare for negotiations much more thoroughly and involve the membership much more deeply when they form their demands. The rails got the best pay increase we have seen in 50 or 60 years. It was fan. Nobody's gotten a pay increase like they did. And other improvements, except that we've been hit with a pandemic. Now it's a tridemic pandemic with everything that's going on. We were hit with declaring all railroad workers essential personnel, meaning you you have to come to work. It's mandatory or you're fired. I mean, think about that. They're more important than the president of the United States or any member of Congress because they could lose their job if they got sick. That's right. So uh, there was a lot of pressure on everybody. And this issue of time off grew out of the fact that people really weren't listening and paying attention to what the railroad management teams were doing, coming up with these bizarre, almost medieval rules. And it found its way, it floated to the top of the issue list. And though the Presidential Emergency Board failed to address it, they addressed everything else except the most important issue. And then Congress despite some great efforts by people like the Sherrod Browns and the Tim Ryans and stuff, they did not get it through. So here we are, a post-negotiations world, contracts are in place, rail shipments are moving. And it just came forth that CSX Railroad, one of the big railroads in America, is already moving now to change its attendance policy. They heard the workers. And now if a worker gets sick, if he gets COVID or the flu or God knows what we'll face, they're not going to suffer those uh, punitive actions.
instructions from the employer uh, for getting sick. They'll get some time off. They'll they'll have to go see their doctor, which is good because yeah. this stuff needs to be treated by professionals. But at least there's recognition from a major carrier. We got to fix this problem because it's looking bad for everybody. And once CSX hits the the road with this new program, I uh, I have very high hopes. The rest of them are going to follow suit and fix this for the workers, or at least make a big improvement. Sure. In it. And the way railroad negotiations work, Flash, we're always behind the curve, meaning this contract we just settled, it's, it comes on the heels of the time to open up negotiations again. Now, it takes years to negotiate on the rails. Same way in the airline industry. Railway Labor Act needs a lot of tweaking in this particular area. But they'll be back at the bargaining table very quickly and starting to address these issues. And if the railroad management teams are smart, they're going to get on this issue right off the bat and maybe even fix it before the next big uh, uh, pressure point comes in rail labor relations. Let's hope so. So CSX is, is, is uh, well, I don't know if you want to say they're caving in, but obviously they hear the workers' concerns. Do you have any details on that at this stage? I mean, are they just throwing extra days out there? What, no, what we... they're, they're proposing a whole new absentee program, which covers certain types of reasons to be off sick. And if a worker gets sick and calls in on short notice, he's not going to be penalized He's not going to be, uh, you know, threatened with firing or anything else. Just bring in a note from the doctor. And uh, they're going to start treating railroad, their employees, more like everybody else in America treats its folks. The finite details are being worked on among the unions and the company as we speak. But it's to me, it's a very positive sign that the workers in the rail industry, by going that extra step that they did, carrying this uh, negotiations out uh, to nail-biting conclusion, at least they got somebody to pay attention. Yeah, that's good news. That's good news. Well, thank you for sharing that because I didn't hear that anywhere else. That's why we do this show, and you you have your you have your ear to the ground, man. You know what's going on, especially in the in that industry. You know, um, you probably are familiar with what's gone on this weekend. Obviously, with this crazy weather, all the flight delays, and I just read this morning that the Department of Transportation is going to look into Southwest for for some odd reason. Southwest took the big hit on this. And I, I recall a conversation. In fact, I think we're going to have her back. Lynn Montgomery works for the Transport Workers Union, and they represent Southwest transport workers. And she was telling me about the change in management over the years. The, the guy that started Southwest, he passed away. And it's a very union-friendly airline. It's probably more union-friendly than most airlines. But They've got some issues. I'd like to get your perspective because I know you deal with the airlines over the years. Any thoughts on what happened to this this company 
And this well, happened uh, this weekend? Absolutely, Flash. It's funny you mentioned the founder of Southwest, Herb Kelleher, who I knew personally for many years. And he was uh, a great guy to work with. And as far as being pro-union, he uh, I don't know of any company guy that's really pro-union, but he dealt with the unions fairly and squarely. And I don't mind saying that to anybody. And I think all my union counterparts understand that. You could sit down, have a conversation with him, and he would include you in what the grand plans for the airline would be and how they would have to make sense before he would actually click click something into play. Uh They miss him today terribly because – The issues that affected Southwest in this blizzard we're having, this terrible storm, uh, a lot of that could have been much better managed. Southwest has grown exponentially with uh, under their business plan throughout the country, and especially in the east and northeast. uh, They've made new inroads. And one of the selling points of Southwest is point-to-point service, like Tom Buffenberger can go from Baltimore Airport to Cleveland Airport, and, uh, you know, that's fine. All it takes is for Cleveland to get hit with a blizzard or Buffalo, New York, and that plane that makes that trip and the other cities that might hit along the way, let's say Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, If that plane's taken out of service because the airports are screwed up, that affects not just those passengers and that airplane. It affects the entire system Southwest has set up. Now, all the airlines are affected to a greater or lesser degree by these conditions. But the the way Southwest is set up, it did not take much to totally blow their system for this weekend. So there are people stuck in airports in areas of the country where the weather isn't bad. It's the fact they can't get a plane to them or that plane can't land where it's supposed to go. And there's been no alternatives developed to cover situations like this when we know this can happen. And this storm was predicted, and the severity of it was, I don't know if totally predicted, but it was certainly signaled that this is a bad storm coming at us. And so here we are, Christmas time, the holiday of Christmas, and people can't get home, they can't get away from home, they can't travel, they can't go. They're stranded at airports, they're stuck in strange cities. And uh, the government's right. I'm a, I'm a little upset with the government. These are the kinds of issues people should plan for and hope you never have to come up with a, a backup plan a plan B. But the fundamentals of the plan should have already been in place. Yep. And nobody pays attention until it's smack dab on our plate in front of us and you have to deal with it. And so I'm hoping people once again 
once again learn a lesson that a little bit of planning pays big dividends. And I hope Southwest Airlines gets that message loud and clear that uh, expansion just for the sake of grabbing a few more passengers and bucks may not always be the uh, the best plan, especially if you're operating out of a place like Dallas, Texas, where the frequency of these types of calamities doesn't occur. Uh, they need to pay attention to what they're doing. So I feel bad for all those passengers out there. I feel even worse for the employees of Southwest who are dealing with this. They've got angry and tired customers to deal with. The uh, uh, reservation agents, the counter specialists, the, the, all the employees, the mechanics, the baggage handlers, yep. uh, the pilots, the flight attendants, you know, they can't even get from point A to point B to, to do their jobs. Um, they're all suffering and uh, doing the best they can despite the lack of their bosses making proper plans for these type of situations. So it's it's a mess, and it's going to stay a mess for a few more days. It takes a long time to sort this out. Yeah. And uh, it's got to be done with precision. So let's hope uh, everybody can keep it together for a couple more days and get people where they need to be. There's going to be a lot of squirming at those hearings in Washington, no doubt about that, when they call the uh, executives to figure I, out what happened I want happened to watch here. it. Yeah, I'm sure you will. You'll get a front seat there, buddy. All right, Tommy, we're going to have to leave it on that note. Any parting words for our audience here? Last show for 2022? I just wish everybody the best uh, uh, 2023, and let's hope things continue to improve. Let's remember, uh, we began 2022 in a tough situation, a lot of doubts, uh, people dumping on the president of the United States and on Congress. And uh, as we wrap up this year, we were seeing, despite the bad times and the questions we had, things seem to be looking up. Let's keep it going in that direction. And I wish everybody a happy, safe, and healthy new year amen brother that's it for another edition of america's workforce coming up tomorrow pete almini of the labor management trust of the heat and frost insulators and the latest from the teamsters until then all of you have a safe and wonderful day that concludes another episode of the america's workforce radio podcast thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show america's workforce is a production of labor tools and bma media group Find out more information online at labortools.com.